the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If every single person in this church would truly, with all their heart, commit their ways to God, honoring Him in everything, don't you see how if we all did that, the impact that this church would have in this world and in this city, it would be unbelievable. Good evening. I'm Kyle Welch, and welcome to Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. We are here every night at this time on KKLA to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to lift up His name to the entire city of Los Angeles. No matter if you are listening tonight from your car or at home or in your place of work, we believe that tonight's sermon from Pastor Dudley will be a blessing to all our listeners. So if you can, get out your Bibles and let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There are 10 million people in this city. We have close to 2 million people who live just in the San Fernando Valley. And most of them do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord. And that's why we do what we do here at Shepherd of the Hills Church. I want you to look at verse 15. I want you to look at this text. And we're just going to read different texts today and kind of walk, walk our way through them. Look at verse 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 15. It says that he died. Now, who's he? The Bible says that he died. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Last night, someone shouted out God. No, God didn't die. It was God's son died, all right? God, God sent his son. It's Jesus. Jesus died for who? Did Jesus die for all two million people in this valley? Yes. But they're not all saved. I know, but he died for all all of them so that they could be saved. That those of us who live, that's us. How many of you are alive? Now, if you don't raise your hand, you're either dead or you're asleep or you're a liar. How many of you are alive? Raise your hand. All right, so we're talking to you. He says, here he says. For he died for who? For all. That those of us who live should no longer live for ourselves. And let's face the facts. Most of us, that's all we do is live for ourselves. We do what we want, what makes us feel good, eat what we like, go where we want to go, say what we want to say. The world, the culture in which we live, everybody, the world revolves around each person individually. But the Bible says that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for yourselves, but you should be living for him who died and who was raised again. In other words, instead of living your life on this planet for yourself, you should be living your life for the one who died, the one who was buried, and who three days later resurrected. That's the one you ought to be living for. (laughs) 
Now look at verse 17. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means you're a Christian, all right? You're one of the ones who believe. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. I love it whenever we baptize. And I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of baptizing someone, but, but you, 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 get ready, you get ready to lower them. And some of you are always, well, you, if you baptize me, you're going to drown me. No, we can't, we can't even get you underneath the water because when we lean you back, you just start floating. You ever notice that? The body floats. When we lean you down, we actually have to push you to get you underneath. Some of you gotta, we got to push extra hard to get you underneath. But... But if you've ever baptized, it's a beautiful thing because when I, as the person who does the baptism, as you lower that person, you, the, you push them down. The last thing to go under is their face. Their face is swallowed up with water. And it really is, it is a, a symbolic of someone being buried in a watery grave, a watery grave. And as they come up out of that water and that water brushes off their face, it is symbolic of we've buried the old person, the old man, the old sin, the old person. And as you come up out of that water, it's symbolic of the new you, the new man, the new woman, the new creature. It's be- baptism is a beautiful thing. Amen. Now, look at verse 18. All of this salvation is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. There is no salvation other than the work of Christ and what he did upon the cross. It's all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us something. What did he give us? According to the Bible, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. You ought to say hallelujah to that. The fact that God is not going to hold your sins against you because of what Christ did on that cross. Can you say hallelujah again? And then it says, and he has committed to us, not that he suggests to us. No, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, I want you to know, as your pastor, I have made a vow to Almighty God. And the Bible makes it clear, before I tell you the vow, you should never make a vow and not fulfill your vow. Especially if you ever make a vow to God. You should never break that vow. And the vow that I, as your pastor, made to God was that as long as He gives me time on this earth that I will spend the rest of my days on this earth as long as I shall live. I will do everything in my power to simply help men and women be introduced to Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. I want you to take your Bible and turn over to chapter 8. Just You're in chapter 5, like one page, maybe two. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I, I got to say this, and don't, don't, this should not surprise anybody. This should not offend any. If this offends you, something's wrong with you. It just makes sense. It's just common sense 
that those who come to this church, those who love the Lord, those who love the work of God, that that church is supported by the people who attend that church, the people who give of their time, give of their talent, and give of their treasure. That's how the church is supported because if you don't support the church, who else is going to support the church? Nobody. That's how God builds the church. I want to show you some scriptures here. I want to read this text, and we're going to just kind of read through it. That's all. But look at verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Brothers, we want, to, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Everybody see, you see the word church? The word church is in the Bible. There it is, all right? It's not a man-made, it's there. And the Greek word for church means assembly. The church is not a building. The church is an assembly of people. And from the Bible days till today, there are churches all around the world, people who assemble together. It's a gathering of people. This text is writing, he's, Paul is writing uh, to the church at Corinth, but he's writing about, he's telling the Corinthians about the churches up north where Paul traveled and planted all these churches. And so he's telling the church of Corinth, hey, I want to tell you about the churches up there in Macedonia. Now look at verse uh, 2. Out of the most severe trial, and we've all got problems. Raise your hand if you've got some problem. You've got, you got something going on. Okay, we all got problems. But these folks, the Macedonians, they had severe trials. But somehow they had joy in the midst of their trials. And they had this poverty, not a little poverty. The Bible says they had extreme poverty. And I got to say this, there's no one here living in poverty. No one here is living in poverty. You all have cell phones. You all got to church somehow. You're all wearing clothes, praise God. And you're all going to eat. How many of you, how many of you planning on eating sometime today? Okay, you're not living in poverty. Out of extreme poverty, the Bible says something welled up within them in spite of their circumstances. They were welled up in rich generosity. So I want you to write that down. They knew poverty, but in spite of that extreme trial, that extreme suffering, somehow God enabled them to give generously. Look at verse 3. For I testify... That they, not you, not you, Corinthians, the, the, the Macedonians, okay? I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Write that down, number three. They gave beyond their ability. Look at verse four. Entirely on their own. This, this almost makes me laugh. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to God. Write those two things down, entirely on their own. They didn't have to be pushed. They didn't have to be prodded. They didn't have to be asked. They begged us. Can you imagine someone coming to, Pastor Dudley, I would like to give. Uh, please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I want to give this offering. Okay, okay. Now, my question is this. What is the difference between the Macedonian churches and our church? How come no one's up here begging to give? 
The answer is in point six. Write this down. They first had given themselves. Before they'd given anything else, this was a church that was full of people who had given themselves first and foremost to God. It says in verse five, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. What was God's will? God's will is that people would get saved. Paul was traveling the world, planting these churches and trying to let the entire world hear the gospel. And the Macedonian church had committed themselves to God and they had committed themselves to the work of God. Now look at verse seven. Verse seven says, but you, uh, just as you excel in everything, you excel in your faith. This church excelled in their speech. This church excelled in their uh, earnestness. They excelled in their love for us. Paul writes, see that you also excel in this thing called grace of giving. So number seven, write this down. They excelled in everything. It's a good test for us. Do you excel in your faith? Do you excel in your knowledge? Do you excel in your in your earnestness? Do you excel in your love for the work of God? Do you excel in your in this thing called the grace of giving? Do you, are, do you excel in that? Now look at verse 8. He says, I am not, I love this verse, I am not commanding you. All right, no one, no one has to, you don't have to do anything. This should all come from your heart. You should never do anything ever where you feel like you're being forced to do something. He says, I am not commanding you, but, but I do want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of, I want to see what's, you know, you say you love the church. I want to see what's in your heart. So write this down. It was a test of their love. Those people up there, out of extreme poverty, the Bible says severe trial, They had all kinds of problems. They could have said, God, we're serving you, yet we have all these problems in our life. I thought if I served you, I wouldn't have any problems. No, even in the midst of severe trials, they were still supporting the work of God because they understood. They understood. I'm going to show you what they understood. Let's let's keep reading, okay? Because verse 9 is the secret. Verse 9 is the reason that rich generosity swelled up. Verse 9 is the reason that they gave beyond their ability. Verse 9 is the reason why they excelled in everything. Verse 9 is the reason why they passed the test. Look at verse 9. It says that they knew knew what Jesus had done for them. You can write that down. They knew what Jesus had done for them. Oh, I love this verse. Don't, Don't lose us on this verse. It says, for you know, you know, everybody say, you know, they see, they knew this, that the grace, oh, look at this, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, yet though he was rich, what does that mean? It means that Jesus was rich. He lived in heaven. He had all that heaven had to offer. Yet the Bible says that though he was rich, he became poor. He gave it all up, and he came to this earth. He died penniless. He died on a cross between two thieves. He died like a thief. He was like a thief. He died between two thieves. 
he who was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become what? So that you one day might be rich and live for all of eternity in the presence of God. Oh, 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 oh. Look at verse 10 quickly, verse 10. And here's here's my two cents. Here's my nickel and my advice about what's best for you. Here's here's what's best. Last year, you were the first and the only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. See, a lot of people give and don't really have the desire to give. They just give out of guilt. You know, here here comes the offering plate. Oh, I better put something in. Someone might think I'm not really supporting the church. Here's my $2. No. This says... Uh, this says not, not, not only were you the first to give, but you were the first to really want to give. Now, don't forget this was a brand new church. It just started. So this, this, is all kind of, this whole thing was new. Verse 11, now finish the work. Everybody say finish the work. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Just write this down. They desired to finish the work. They desired to finish the work. And ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say to you, we've done a lot of good things here at this church, a lot of good things. Uh, You just got to just walk in here and open your eyes and you see all the good this church does. But we still have a lot of work yet to do. Amen? Amen. I want you to go over to the Old Testament quickly. I want to read just a couple scriptures. Exodus, go to Exodus 35. It's the second book in the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 35. Israel had been in bondage for 400 years. Slaves, bondage. And finally, they'd been set free. Now, what would you do if you'd been in bondage for 400 years and all of a sudden you're free? How would you act if you knew that God was the one who had delivered you? Wouldn't you want to worship God? Wouldn't you want to honor God? Wouldn't want you to say thank you, God? Wouldn't, wouldn't, isn't that what you want to do? Well, Moses, he goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. They'd just been set free. He goes up on the mountain. He'd been gone just a few days. And when he came back down off the mountain, the people had taken all of their resources and had built a golden calf. And they were worshiping a golden calf instead of the creator God of the universe who had freed them. So Moses is upset. God is upset. And uh, the people are going to have to walk around the wilderness for 40 more years. 40 more years of slavery. 40 more years of bondage to the desert because of their failure to honor God the way they should honor God. So Moses goes back up. He gets a second set of commandments. He comes back down. His face is glowing. And he gives these instructions. They're going to have to walk around the desert for 40 years, but they need to have a sanctuary because... You know, this is, a, this, is a, uh, this is not a portable building, but they're traveling for 40 years as a group. They had to have a place to worship even when they were wandering. So they had to build what was called a tabernacle or a sanctuary. It's what it was called in the Bible. 
because there has to be an assembly. Are you with me on this? So here's, here, here's how the story goes in verse uh, 35, chapter 35, verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who's willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, verse 6, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair. I guess people had hair they could give it, amen? And a whole bunch of things. Now look at verse 21. Go all the way to verse 21. The Bible says, and everyone who was willing and whose heart, what? Whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting for its service and for all the sacred garments. So write those two things down. They were willing and their hearts moved them. Now go over to chapter 36, verse 3. It says that they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the what? The sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So write those two things down. Morning after morning after morning after morning after morning, they brought free will offering. Now nothing is free. Anytime someone says, I'm going to give this, this is free, somebody paid for it. Nothing is free. All right? Verse 4. So all the skilled workers who were doing the work on the sanctuary, they left. Now, there's always a bad deal when the construction stops. But it says that all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing, and they came to Moses, and they said, Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. So I want you to write that down, more than enough. Write that down, more than enough. Last two verses. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man and no woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. No moss, no more. And so the people, this is in the Bible, the people were restrained from bringing more. Verse 7, because... What they had already had was more than enough to do all the work, praise God. I want you to write that down. That last phrase, the people had to be restrained. I just want to ask you this question. Do you think it will ever happen when I step out here and I say to you, we have all the money for the new worship facility, please, no more. People come up and go, oh, no, pastor, please. I want to I be a part. I want to be a part. Here it is. And I go, no, no, no. We have to, we have the ushers, we have to hold you back. <laughs> do you think that will ever happen? I do. If one thing happens, and that is If every single person in this church would simply dedicate their entire heart to following God. You see, back to that text, all that stuff happened because the people were honoring God. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And see, I can't answer for you. I don't know what's going on in your heart right now. I mean, I, I know you're here, but I don't know what's going on in your heart. I know a test is coming. Test is coming. 
when that stuff's all fenced off and you've got to walk out on the sidewalk to get here and just, you're late and you've got to leave there earlier and it's hot and it's windy, or rain, test is coming. But I'm not worried about all that, but what I am worried about is this. If every single person in this church would truly, with all their heart, commit their ways to God, honoring Him in everything, don't you see how if we all did that, the impact that this church would have in this world and in this city, it would be unbelievable. If you were moved by Pastor Dudley's message tonight, we want you to know we have phone counselors standing by and ready to pray with you right now. Our number is simple to dial. It's 888-818-4777. Again, that number is 888-818-4777. We are ready for any prayer requests or needs you may have. Ephesians 6 reminds us of the many gifts we have been given by God. And prayer is one of the greatest assets we have as Christians to fend off any attack by the enemy. So please don't hesitate to call us if you are alone and need to pray with someone right now. We also remind everyone that our online services at Shepherd Church can be seen every weekend, either Saturdays at 6 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. on our websites, liftupjesus.com and shepherdchurch.com. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.